Hi everyone, welcome to Meet the Podcasters. This is James Dini. My guests today are Callum Davidson and Sam Dada from the Pint of Science podcast. Their show launched last year as an offshoot of the Pint of Science Festival, which brings scientists from universities all over the world out of their labs and into local pubs to chat to the public about their work over a beer or two. And since launching in 2013, the festival has really taken off. Last year, it attracted more than 130,000 attendees in countries all across the globe. It's a really simple concept for a science festival, and it clearly works. So it was actually Callum who came up with the idea of starting a podcast to extend the reach of the festival beyond just the in-person events. And he teamed up with producer Sam to record a 10-episode season, which was released alongside the festival last year. As a big science enthusiast myself, I really enjoyed this conversation. It was great to get an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at season one and hear what's in the pipeline for the Pint of Science podcast as it continues to grow and evolve. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode by heading over to the podcast.co website. But for now, this is Meet the Podcasters, episode five, with Callum Davidson and Sam Dada. So, first of all, I'd just like to thank both of you for joining me today. No worries. Thanks very much for having us. So, before we actually get into talking about the Pint of Science podcast, could you give us, uh, both of you, just a brief outline of your backgrounds and the kind of work you're involved with, just to give listeners some, some context? Sure. Go on, Cal- After you, Callum. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, so I am a scientist by training originally. So I did my undergraduate degree in Manchester in anatomy, and then I went and did a PhD in Edinburgh in cardiovascular science. Mm-hmm. And during the whole time I was doing that, I was kind of aware that I liked the more creative performancey side of everything I was doing. So I was trying to find more and more ways to get involved in sciencey performance or... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I've done nearly every single kind of public engagement you can imagine, really. Um, and that eventually became my kind of full-time gig. So I took over directing Pint of Science in 2017. And I did that through until late last year, which is how I met Sam. And we started up the podcast. Mm. And my background is... Well, I guess it, it's journalism is my career background. But my background to get into that is in stand-up comedy. So I started as a stand-up comedian and was doing some research work for a documentary series and they offered me a presenting gig off the side of that and got from that into journalism and from journalism into YouTube and then (laughs) I was at the BBC for a couple of years commissioning educational programs for schools so I've always had an interest in science and education and outreach and telling people about the world one way or another Hmm. and then decided that I would spread my wings a little bit and get into podcasting and thought, you know, a science podcast would be really good. If only there was a science podcast that had booze. And uh, <laughs> and so I got in touch with Pint of Science and they were very keen. Oh, nice. Are, are you still doing the, the stand-up, by the way? Not for a very long time. Not for a very, very long time. If you Google it, you will find some incredibly old videos, which are not very good. <laughs> were, were, were they recorded by you or did someone in the crowd uh, take them? Mike, do you know what my first ever stand-up gig was for a competition run by Revels, <laughs> which uh, I was on stage and it was my first gig. It was the first time I'd ever done stand-up and it's the only video that survived on YouTube, unfortunately. And it was also Will, 
Will Bird, no, Simon Bird, who plays Will in The Inbetweeners, it was his ah. first stand-up gig as well, on, oh, I wow. think was on the same night. And, um, and, and he did better than I did, unsurprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> is, he the same, is that the same one where you got trained by Paul Foote? No, that was something different. <laughs> that was something very different down the line. We won't talk about that one now. But but yes, I um, I once had to do stand up solo in front of Paul Foot in an empty comedy club in London. It was the most terrifying thing I've it, ever it done in my terrifying, life. It sounds terrifying. Yeah, it's giving me anxiety just just thinking about yeah, it. Was, it was awful. He's lovely, but it was awful. <laughs> yeah. Um. So moving back to to podcasting, or, or more more generally, the actual the Pint of Science um, festival itself, because the the festival precedes the the podcast that was running for a few years before. So before we we actually talk about the podcast, could you just, um, Callum, maybe let us know about the festival um, and what that's all about? Absolutely. So in 2013, uh, a couple of postdoctoral researchers called Praveen Paul and Misha Motskin uh, were working in Imperial College London and they ran an, a sort of day where patients and uh, relatives of people who were suffering from neurodegenerative conditions could come into the lab and see the kind of work that scientists got up to, uh, have a chat with them, ask some questions. And it was basically a massive success. It was called something like Meet the Researchers. It's, it's a pretty kind of regular occurrence in universities all over the country. But mm-hmm. um, basically it went down so well with both the patients and the scientists in that everyone got to feel a bit more connected to the research they were doing. Uh, The patients got a chance to see what actually went on. You know, when you give your money to whichever charity you wish to donate to, you know, you like to see what gets done with that money. Mm -hmm. Um, So so that day went down such a treat that basically the idea was hatched by Misha and Praveen to bring those kind of conversations to people in a more neutral space. Because if you're asking people to come into a university building and chat to them in the lab, you're kind of giving yourself the home advantage as the scientist. So the thinking was, what's the most kind of neutral space where people are going to be relaxed? Uh, and, you know, that's where the kind of cropped into their minds. Mm-hmm. Um, so Planet Science was born there. And since 2014, when the first official festival ran, uh, so that was in like three cities. You're going to test my memory of statistics here, but that was in like... <laughs> three cities and there was something around 50 events uh, and it's now absolutely skyrocketed because it's quite a simple thing to set up um, and it mm-hmm. relies on the kind of enthusiasm of scientists and researchers to want to run a festival and you'd be amazed how many incredibly enthusiastic and talented people there are mm-hmm. out there in universities who want to set up this kind of thing so um, yeah it's kind of spread like uh I won't say a disease because yeah. that sounds negative, but it spread like something good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now, yeah, it, it, it attracts, and I literally can't remember the figures off the top of my head here, but I think globally something like 130,000 plus attended in oh. 2019. So there are events happening all over the world. And um, yeah, the, the principle is really simple. It's just scientists come to pubs, cafes, community spaces talk about their work over a drink alcoholic or otherwise um and yeah everyone gets the chance to kind of have a two-way dialogue yeah yeah it is it is a great idea um i remember when i was studying science communication at um at university it does just seem like the one of the perfect ways to to communicate ideas because it is a relaxed environment i was just wondering have you actually traveled to any of the the festival events in other countries or is it just predominantly in the uk 
I never have. We have we have a, an international director called Elodie who is um, very well versed with traveling all over the world, seeing uh, you know plenty of these events get off the ground. So she's involved in in kind of onboarding new countries and helping them get set up. And she's been to some very very exciting and cool things. She has a way of getting herself invited to amazing things. I think <laughs> last year she went to the launch of a rocket somewhere in the USA. Um, I, I you know. I got to go to a few cool places. We went to Oxfordshire, didn't we, Sam? That was pretty fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Lancaster's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lancaster, yeah. Party hard in Lancaster. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, what like, what were the, the main motivations be, behind launching the podcast? Um, was, it, was it your idea, Callum, or was it something that you'd been thinking about doing for a while? How did it, how did it come about? So th- there was a really nice bit of um, kind of serendipitous timing here really um i had been sitting on the idea of a podcast for quite a while even before i kind of took over the running of planet of science as my full-time job i was thinking about kind of pitching it to praveen and misha um as an idea because it had never really been done and it seemed like something that would fit the format incredibly well mm-hmm. uh but because at that time i was doing a different job and i didn't really i couldn't find the time in my day to to plan it i never really got it started mm-hmm. and then when I started doing Planet Science as my full-time gig, I basically was thinking, how does one start a podcast? Because I had all the enthusiasm of a presenter who loved the sound of his own voice, and I had all the connections through Planet of Science. I knew how to get in touch with amazing scientists who had stories to tell, but what I didn't know was how to do anything technically mm-hmm. in the world of podcasting. And to be mm-hmm. honest with you, so good is Sam at taking on that responsibility that I still don't really. So <laughs> that's where Sam came into the picture. Um, so Sam, could you kind of, um, is it just, uh, so Callum, you have a co-host on the show called Jim and Sam, yeah. you're behind the desk kind of running the production and it, how does that dynamic work to, to kind of bring the episodes together? Yeah. So generally it's Callum and Jim. I've, I've stepped in a couple of times to do a bit behind the microphone, but usually I, I stay behind the desk. Mm-hmm. I, how, how does it work really? Um, <laughs> so I tend to be fairly background i don't tend to say or do too much but i will be listening quite intently from my journalistic background i kind of know if something's been missed or if something needs going going over again mm-hmm. so actually most of what i do i do the editing and the publishing and that kind of thing but most of what i do is just listening into the conversation and if something comes across if something is said that will need a bit more explanation for example there's a three-letter acronym mm-hmm. that everyone in the room understands yeah i'll think oh hang on you're a layman in the audience, an enthusiastic layman who's interested, won't necessarily know what that three-letter acronym mm. is. So I will occasionally interrupt and say, oh, could we go over that? Or something in the background makes a noise and we need to redo something. So mm-hmm. I basically listen. <laughs> so, so that that's actually, great. That, that's happening live. There, there's, uh, are you editing post-production as well? Or any changes like that obviously need to be made as you're recording, I suppose? Yeah, so it's, uh, it's kind of mid-production and post-production as well so editing on the day and editing afterwards in post yeah yeah so we tend to record for about an hour and a half and it gets knocked down to about an hour slightly less if if we can help it so it's about a a third of it gets cut generally yeah yeah and it it is a real skill to be able to talk about these things without slipping into the acronyms and all this kind of uh, insider knowledge it's so hard but actually Callum and Jim are brilliant at that because a lot of the scientists we talk to although we're really interested in what they do we don't necessarily know an awful lot about it mm-hmm. and Callum and Jim are really good at writing questions which are 
interested and very keen, mm -hmm. but allow the scientists to open up about their research in a very easy to engage with way. And that's the whole point of Pint of Science is to make it uh, accessible and engaging and to break down the barriers of three letter acronyms mm. and computer software and processes that no one understands and no one's ever heard of and just to say in plain english this is what i do and this is why it's cool yeah yeah and like you did have um some great guests on the first season i was just talking to callum before we started recording there that one of the guests that you had uh, that stood out for me was matthew cobb uh, primarily because i had a kind of pre-existing connection to him and um, when i was at university of manchester he kind of um, was involved in our science communication course and I remember him being really entertaining and enthusiastic uh, the way he came across so it was great to hear him in a different context on the podcast and I was just kind of wondering um, in relation to your guests how did you go about deciding who you wanted on the show were there certain people that you thought we, we really need to get them or how did the booking process uh, go? So I think I was quite... Um uh, systematic in the way I approach that in terms of Pint of Science as a festival obviously tries to encompass pretty much every branch of research you could think of. So we already had these kind of pre-existing themes. So the festival's based around these these six themes, seven if you want to be picky, but six, six kind of core themes which are, um, yeah, kind of trying to cover a, a, as big a spread of research as possible. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew from the offset that I wanted to try and get guests from across the spectrum. Uh, I knew that we obviously wanted to have like a good ba balance in terms of demographics and the kind of um, the kind of guests we wanted. Obviously, had to have probably you know demonstrated some degree of um, enthusiasm for science communication in the past. Mm -hmm. So most of them had spoken at the festival. Mm -hmm. I have to be honest, like not all of them had spoken at the festival, but the vast majority had, or they had some connection. We'd worked with them in some capacity or other. Um, and yeah, once once you kind of narrowed down the list like that, uh, a few really obvious great choices started to emerge. Um, and since we've done the first series, we've kind of, you know, you can't stop having ideas. Once you've got into the rhythm of choosing people and reaching out to them, you suddenly, you can't stop thinking of amazing people you could have on the show. And, and the links to science become increasingly, I wouldn't say tenuous, <laughs> But you, you can think of ways that people touch on science in their work or in their life that are really interesting and maybe a little tan tangential, but very, very much still, you know, relevant to, to the purpose of the festival. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like there's there's a lot of scope to, to take it and in, in lots of interest in um, directions in the future. Um, and one of the, the other things you, you did mention that most of the the people you had on the podcast were speaking at the festival and I was wondering in terms of promoting the podcast itself um, was it primarily promoting it at the events um, or was there other channels that you were using to get the word out there about the podcast yeah so uh, we used a few different approaches we kind of um, because of the time the timing of this, the Pint of Science Festival, it all happens in May. Uh, three three nights in May is kind of when we concentrate most of our events, but we have satellite events as well. But the podcast actually kicked off much earlier in the year. So in the first instance, we were using kind of a mixture of word of mouth by telling our volunteers about it, because obviously we have this massive network of volunteers who organize these events. Mm -hmm. So you've, you've already got an amazing, enthusiastic team who are willing to kind of tell their friends who tell their friends who post on social media about it and they helped us get the message out uh, they helped kind of amplify our social media message so we 
obviously were kind of tweeting and Facebooking everything we were doing, Instagramming it as well, um, and having a kind of huge legion of people to help you out um, is is obviously a, a massive boost there. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah, when the live events rolled around, we had every every presentation, every every kind of slideshow across the country will have had a a sort of link to the the podcast advertised fairly clearly. So I think that helped us out quite a lot with our um, our listening figures. Mm. And we also uh, wrote off to quite a few newsletters, a couple of podcast review sites. We did buy some advertising on podcast hosting platforms as well. Mm. And uh, Facebook and Instagram groups as well, sharing it around those and, and subreddits as well. And just out of interest, was there anything of all those different methods that you tried, was there anything that jumped out as being particularly effective in comparison with others? Hmm. I think... Not to me, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm not sure either. I think think a huge part of it is having that kind of enthusiastic and pre pre-existing kind of network in the yeah. planet science volunteers that was a huge help and i don't want to underplay how much of a role that yeah you know, i'm aware yeah, yeah. that if we'd recorded this as just two guys who wanted to make a science podcast it would have been much harder to get it heard um but i yeah i'm not sure i mean yeah I, I i don't have the metrics to say how much having it advertised at the events helped i think we did have another spike didn't we around may and um, when people kind of rediscovered the episodes we already had out there um, yes yeah big one so actually, yes, the the thing that worked best was having a massive science festival with a hundred thousand yeah. attendees. Yeah, that's, that's our that, advice. Not that <laughs> easy to, to yeah, replicate. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you have it, yeah, use it. Great, and uh, it, it'll be great. But uh, so uh, of the first series, do either of you have any uh, standout highlight moments from the first season? Ooh, good question. Um, I think for so, me. Uh, Oh, sorry, go on. You, after you no, go on. No, no, you go on. <laughs> uh, I think uh, Sue Black, actually, in, in Lancaster was amazing, absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. She was just, uh, I don't, for anyone who's not heard this, Sue Black is, she's an anthrop, you're gonna, I'm going to get this wrong, so you're going to have to correct me, Callum. She's an anthropological... She's a- She's a social anthropologist, <laughs> isn't she? So, social anthropologist, that's right. But she deals in, in, in death, essentially. And she has seen and experienced um, unbelievable things around the world, largely very unpleasant things. But she's done some incredible things as well. She's visited the ar- archaeological sites in Scotland where some of the oldest human remains in the UK have been found. And she's got a very good relationship with a lot of crime writers. And just listening to her and her story was just fantastic she can hold a room like no one else i think she was definitely the one that i enjoyed the most i love them all but she she stood out she she's very very engaging um as a person she just has a kind of warmth that is very obvious the second you meet her like you don't feel considering her you know technically the amount of exciting titles she can put next to her name you don't feel at all like you're (laughs) in the presence of someone who's like how much of my time are you going to take she's like she's she's got a lot of time for you which is lovely She's a dame, isn't she, as well, among other titles? She sure is. That's right. Um, yeah. yeah, I would say I would agree that Sue Black was um, an incredible uh, episode. I also, I really liked episodes like, so the first one we ever did in a pub, um, kind of, I guess, uh, without it being a pilot where we'd really meticulously planned it. The first one we did in the spirit of just meeting for a pint and a chat was Chris Jackson um, in London. And we, we met oh, up in a pub. Oh, he was good. 
Yeah, he was great. We met up in a pub. I can't remember where in London it was now. It was somewhere in... I don't live in London. I don't need to know this kind of stuff. But <laughs> basically, it was like... It was just a very, very impromptu pint in the middle of the day that we weren't sure if the pub was going to be horribly loud or if Chris was going to like get into the spirit of it. But he arrived. He'd just run 18 miles or something like that. And yet he immediately you know, indulged in a pint, which I was very grateful to him for. Yeah, balanced um, lifestyle. Yeah. He he was <laughs> yeah. he he was um, he was a great guest just because he really got what we were trying to go for, which was obviously not a kind of lecture via podcast, mm. but it was you know what what do you research and then using that as a kind of springboard to you know the lives that obviously a- anyone has behind their job. Mm. Um, so and I really I, enjoyed that one. And actually, it's a, it's a funny one, Chris Jackson, isn't it? Because I'd actually I'd forgotten precisely who Chris Jackson was. But when I originally wrote to Callum and said we should do a podcast, I used Chris Jackson's Pint of Science talk, which I went to must be four or five years ago now, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think in the pitch, I said to Callum, there was an amazing talk I went to about salt in the Himalayas years ago. And it's a thing that I'd never even considered was a thing. And it was amazing. And we should totally do a podcast where we bring that kind of thing to the public. And he ended up being our second interview, didn't he? Yeah, he's a pint of science celebrity, Chris Jackson. He's, he's not one of these people who every, every talk he gives, everyone is just comes out of it being like, wow, who was that guy? He was unbelievable. He made salt cool. He really <laughs> does make salt cool as well. Yeah, it's, everyone's got one of those Himalayan salt. They're everywhere now, the, um, exactly. the salt lamps. Yeah. yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah. I also, it would be remiss not to mention um, Randall Munro, which was just an incredible... Uh, stroke of luck and timing really um whereby so randall munro creator of webcomic xkcd which is um it's one of these things where people that have heard of xkcd like cannot believe that you've interviewed randall munro but people that haven't heard of xkcd are just like who he's um he's kind of i've been fanboying over randall munro since about 2005 um so we had this kind of insane experience whereby uh, he was doing a book tour in the UK and we just kind of, I think with the confidence we'd built up over the first series, I just kind of thought, you know what, let's just put it out there and get in touch, see if he'd be willing to come on the show. Uh, and when he said yes, obviously we had to like, I had to take take a seat and, and calm myself down so that I could <laughs> not spend the episode being a fanboy. But it was very cool to just to meet the guy and see that he's really normal and obviously, you know, has a lot of interesting things to say but it kind of there's nothing like doing a podcast with someone to kind of bring bring yourself back down to earth and realize that you know they're just like everyone else except also an incredibly talented webcomic creator <laughs> yeah that must have been a crazy experience for if it's someone yeah that you've been and you had never met him before that point until you sat down and did the podcast now yeah 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 we were sat in that pub waiting for him to arrive and i was like I wonder, like, you know, you normally find that when you meet these people who you've built up in your head, they always seem like a little bit shorter than you think they're going to, you know what I mean? He was yeah. like a normal height. I was like, I thought he was going to be a giant somehow, but... And how, how were the nerves during the interview? Did you uh, keep it under control? Did everything go smoothly? Yeah, well, that was actually the first episode you and me presented together, wasn't it, Sam? It was, yeah. Um, it went I very well, he, I think. <laughs> yeah, it did. He, he was very good at putting us at ease, I think. Like, he... He was, I think, he'd like been on a plane and he'd been all over the country shaking hands with people and like made himself ill. Mm. So he arrived looking like, oh, like I feel a bit sorry for myself. And it kind of put me at ease to think like someone who has this degree of, you know, global reputation is also just 
he, he was saying, wasn't he? Oh, I hope I don't sound too tired or like snuffly on the recording. I was like, if he's worrying about how he'll come across, yeah. I don't need to worry. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as you're, I presume you're, uh, are you gearing up at the moment to, to kind of plan the second season? Yes, yes, we are. Um, <laughs> we, so I, I, I was just wondering now that, that you are kind of prepping. Is there anything that you're you're gonna? You kind of briefly mentioned Callum uh, earlier in the conversation that you there's potential different directions you could take the podcast in. And I was wondering, is there anything you're going to do differently this time around, or any key lessons that you learned from from producing the first season? Yeah. So I think things to start with things that we definitely work, and we want to try our best to keep the same. Um, I think meeting in person and doing them live wherever possible uh, added a lot. I think the more people embraced the spirit of going to a pub and having a pint of whatever they wanted, but like just being in a pub, mm-hmm. being sat around that table and having like a drink in your hand, people so quickly forgot that there was this recorder in the middle. You could see people that had never done any any kind of media spots before. Mm-hmm. Like for the first set of 10 minutes, you can see people are like very, very aware I think I saw it in everyone's body language. They begin with their back incredibly straight hmm. and you can see that they're like very carefully considering, very scientifically considering every question you ask them. And then after like, you know, half of the pint is gone, you could see they'd sat forward in their chair. They were like enthusiastically interrupting <laughs> you to like tell another joke and you're thinking like, this is what I want to see. So we're going to keep that part of the formula. I think something we're keen to try maybe a little more is with a view to making sure we don't lose sight of sort of at least getting across some kind of key science, uh, I'm keen to maybe structure it a little more around features. So um, to give a shout out to another podcast, there's a a history uh, podcast, which is called You're Dead to Me, which I've started listening to recently. It's uh, Greg Jenner. Is that right, Sam? Am I getting the name right? It is. Yep. Greg Jenner, yeah. So he, he has a great history podcast, which is essentially... He, he does a very similar thing, really. He meets up in a room with some, some historians and some comedians, and he basically chats about one topic that he's really into. But rather than it just being fully freeform conversation, he's introduced just a few structural kind of features which allow you to... You can still riff around them, and they basically do still end up being freeform conversation. But if you just start with something that has a bit of kind of clarity of purpose, it means you don't end up doing that thing where you go down a rabbit hole and suddenly you're like, oh dear, we've run out of time and I'm not sure we actually discussed what this person has spent their life working on. Um, I think that's one of the things. I think the, there are other things, but they're all too... It's it, <laughs> Some of the more outlandish ideas we've had have included having maybe some remote hosts who might be giving interviews in other parts of the country. Because obviously for this first series, we had to travel all over the place to do it we, we always went to our guests which i think was very helpful in getting some of the kind of busier bigger names who were like oh you'll come to me well then definitely i'll go to the pub and be bought a drink um <laughs> but i think i think we're keen to maybe make use of our kind of huge volunteer network um by having a few kind of guest hosts that would you know if we have a guest that wants to speak in john O'Groats. Me and Sam don't have to jump on, you know, the next train and and try and get there. Um, yeah. Me, Sam, and Jim, I should say. Jim hasn't come up in this. Jim, Jim is also a presenter on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we should have mentioned him more earlier on. Um, but yes, yeah, that that's another idea. But it's it's such uh, an uncertain idea mm. that I'm not mm. not going to divulge any more details around that. <laughs> it's basically we've got a, it's a slight balancing act because um, I'm sure Callum won't mind me saying 
towards the end of uh, recording the last series, it did start to get rather stressful trying to get you know four episodes recorded in different corners of the country mm. in the space of a week or two weeks. It was just it was a lot for everyone to handle. And it was incredibly fun and rewarding. But if we can find a way with series two to keep that and keep it slightly more flexible, mm-hmm. that would be perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And possibly as well making it a bit more perennial, like having it sort of uh, yes. rather than a rather than a weekly ten episode run, maybe having a kind of monthly uh, but all year round kind of show that might also be something we think about. Yeah, because I did see you had posted. Uh, was it? Did you list them as bonus content or special content that had come out more recently after the first season had been published? Ah, the Colin Furs interview. Yes. yes, that was something that came up as an opportunity very, very last minute, and actually in a complete turnaround. That was only me presenting that because <laughs> um, it came up with about two days' notice and involved getting to. Uh, deepest darkest Lincolnshire uh, <laughs> which no one else was available for with two days notice unfortunately but that was uh, that was a special one-off we did and I think there's probably going to be a few more of those in the next year that was with Colin Furs the uh, YouTuber mm. who makes incredible and ridiculous machines and very dangerous machines by his own admission in his back garden <laughs> that was a real treat that was very special that was a fun day are you still involved with YouTube Sam or is that you you're finished with the YouTube now for the moment for the moment, yes. I uh, podcasting, I find actually you you're more able to express yourself with podcasting. Mm-hmm. I find it's easy with podcasting to pick up a microphone and speak your mind, and you can be very freeform because it's easier to edit. And if you want to take out a second or two here or there, it's much easier than it is on YouTube. Yeah. And. It, <laughs> YouTube's going through a lot of changes at the moment as well. I think podcasting is an area which is expanding and there's lots of new ideas and it's a very exciting place in podcasting. And YouTube has slightly set itself, not in a not in a rut, but YouTube knows what it is and knows what it wants now. Mm-hmm. And the audience know what they want. So I think podcasting is a much more exciting area to be in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the only problem with podcasting that we have at the minute is the discovery problem of, you know, how can we get yes. these, these podcasts out to people? Because we don't have the algorithm like we do on YouTube where it's just serving up um, recommended videos based on what you've watched before. But I'm sure someone is going to crack the, the podcast discovery <laughs> problem sometime and that will be a great day when that happens we're looking forward to it I quite like that about podcasting in a way though I quite like that it's still very analog in Mm. in that you have to be recommended (laughs) it by a friend it feels like a club that you're a a special member of if someone gives you a great podcast recommendation and you start listening and you're like oh my god this is what I want to listen to you kind of feel like I, I like in a way but it doesn't have that little thing at the end of the podcast you're listening to where a timer counts down ready to automatically run you on to the next you know algorithmically yeah. identified similar podcasts <laughs> so i don't know i'm, I'm aware that's uh, coming from someone who's got a science festival to help promote their podcast i'm, I'm sure it helps but yeah. yeah i have to say as well is it for those who I, I i actually completely agree with callum i think organic discovery is is wonderful if you're trying to make a business out of a podcast it does make life slightly slightly more difficult mm-hmm. but the organic thing is 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 wonderful to work with what i would say about youtube is that you can podcast on youtube Mm -hmm. an increasing number of people do you can transform your entire podcast episode into an audiogram and upload it to youtube with all the relevant seo and keywords and then immediately you're on the world's two biggest search engines with your podcast right there and then and actually a lot of people do listen to podcasts on youtube as well so we we didn't for series one but i think on series two we probably will end up doing a version which gets uploaded to youtube we just have to work out how to 
do that because it's a sh- it would be a shame not to tap into that market. Yeah, one one of the things that a lot of people seem to be doing on YouTube is the the kind of Joe Rogan formula where you cut this long conversation down into bite sized chunks, um, and those seem to to do quite well on on YouTube. If you can, if people don't have an hour to listen to something, they can have ten minutes here or ten minutes there. Um, yeah, he he makes his um, he actually films the studio as well, doesn't he? And yeah, has yeah. that kind of. I think that makes a a big difference in a way if if it's kind of turned into a little uh, visual thing as well that yeah, I'm more yeah. likely to make use of YouTube. I don't know if I would use YouTube for a podcast that's purely an audiogram in the same way, just because yeah, yeah. it's it's one of the freeing things about a podcast, isn't it? That you can be like driving around or exactly. doing whatever and have it on the go. Yeah. Um, so now that we are kind of on a more, uh, I suppose, business focused topic, um, and obviously the people that uh, our users on the podcast.co platform, one of the, the big things at the front of their mind is sponsorship and finding a way to monetize your podcast. And I, I did notice that the Pound of Science podcast is sponsored by Brilliant.org, which kind of provide online courses for people to teach themselves uh, math, science, computer science. And in terms of finding a sponsor that aligns with your podcast, it doesn't get much better than that. And I was wondering how that relationship came about. Basically, it was cold calling. I went around and I knew from the start that a a CPM, a a clicks per thousand based model, wasn't going to be the way we wanted to kick off because we were a new podcast starting out. We didn't know how it was going to go. And we thought we can do better than advertising um, whatever mattress (laughs) is being (laughs) advertised this month or, or whatever. We can do something that's far more ingrained with the podcast, that's far more worthwhile to our audience. And actually, there's no reason why a really good fitting sponsor, which Brilliant are, that that's perfect because it's not insulting to your audience. They don't really feel necessarily like they're being advertised to because it's something that's so relevant to what you're talking about. And so I basically went, put together a list of potential sponsors who I thought we could work really well with and basically picked up the phone and just called loads of them. Mm. <laughs> and Brilliant were interested and were an absolute treat to work with. Can't uh, can't be, can't praise them highly enough. They were very they understanding. Were really they were nice to do our to own thing. That yeah, was it. They were, they were, they were so were cre- creatively hands-off. Like, they let us really kind of run with the idea. They, they weren't imposing, you know, beyond, you know, saying, saying the bit about Brilliant. They, they were just like, you guys have a good idea. You run with it, which I was very, very... Um, grateful for yeah and it just shows you cold calling isn't dead uh there's still you still need to pick up the phone <laughs> and uh if, if you've got like a good idea i think it kind of shines through in those calls it doesn't have to be if it's cold call with a kind of dead-eyed sounding script <laughs> behind it then that's gonna possibly put people off but yeah. i think if you've got a great idea and you phone up with enthusiasm and do your research beforehand and like contact the right people as well that's the other bit of advice like don't uh don't just call the kind of reception line and be like, put me through to the head of marketing right now. Like, <laughs> learn some names in advance and send some emails. Yeah, I would say that's where that's one of the areas where having a bit of a journalistic background slightly darkly uh, comes in, comes into its own because I'm quite good at finding out who I need to talk to and mm. and, uh, and how to get in touch with them. But yeah, it's 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 so worth doing a little bit of extra research just a couple of hours of extra research and finding a sponsor who fits you perfectly and going and saying hello to them it makes such a difference to who you get and the return that you get on on the investment for your time it's I, it's the way to go if you can bear to pick up the phone do it hmm. yep it's good advice and i was <laughs> just gonna say 
it's kind of switching gears slightly, um, but and we kind of have touched on it already uh, in terms of the Pint of Science podcast and what makes that such a great vehicle for communicating scientific ideas. But I was wondering if either of you uh, would want to share your thoughts on the podcasting as a medium itself, because we were seeing uh, there is a kind of explosion of science-related podcasts, and there's obviously is a hunger and a demand out there for it. And uh, just what your thoughts are on podcasting as a medium for communicating scientific ideas. Yeah. So, uh, podcasting as a medium, I have loved for a really long time. I, it's one of those things that I, without any pretension, can say I was into before it was cool. <laughs> because I've always liked uh, Back when I was like a kid, me and my brother used to like record things on tape. Like, we used to make these weird little tapes that I now realize were just podcasts, but it was just <laughs> us recording, like, talking about stuff. Remember, we'd have one where we looked out of our front window of our house and just talked about people that were walking past, which. I still think to this day would probably make for quite an interesting podcast for a certain kind of niche audience. Maybe a bit of a stalkery podcast, but <laughs> still an entertaining idea. But um, yeah, I think so. So essentially, podcasting as a medium, I, I think, is the most wonderfully kind of it's engaging, but not attention consuming. So you don't have to be sat there in front of a screen consuming hour after hour of kind of stuff that makes you feel like your brain is shutting off from the world it's something that you feel like you're enriching yourself while you're wandering around getting on with your day um and and as well because they're kind of free form and and extremely <coughs> excuse me um kind of they take their time or at least the podcasts i i really like they take their time over topics so there's time for nuance there's time for debate there's time for much more than just the kind of pure soundbite driven thing that we're so used to hearing from you know politicians and marketeers and that that thing of it just being like one key message is sometimes a little bit draining and i think podcasts really encourage people to spend more time like getting to the root of issues um so what better way to communicate something that is so complex and full of nuance than science you know it's really tough with science communication because on the one hand you want to grab people's attention you want to tell a story you want it to fit a narrative because people do like stories and it's a really good way to make sure an idea sticks with people to give them a story but at the same time you have that paradox that any good scientist knows that science isn't really about telling one clear story there is no absolute truth that you're trying to get across it's all about you know the evidence so far suggests that this is the best way of thinking about it but we've always got to be questioning we've always got to be being critical uh, so i think a podcast from that perspective it's kind of where the idea for the podcast began it was like we need to talk to these scientists we need to hear their thoughts on it and we need to do it in a way that you know they're relaxed and they're gonna they're gonna want to bring out those interesting sides of the debate that you know they come out when you introduce a, a pint mm. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It it does seem like there's there's not a lot of room for nuance in the world anymore. And podcasting is the kind of last last holdout where you can have these kind of conversations, and it doesn't it doesn't have to be um, outrage and uh, you know clickbait type uh, type stuff, which is you know the inter- the rest of the internet's filled with that kind of content. Uh, yeah. So I'm I'm mindful of both your time <coughs> here and just. To kind of close things out, I was wondering, other than the Pint of Science podcast, is there any other like science-focused podcast that either of you are really enjoying at the moment that you'd recommend to other people? Um, <laughs> so 
obviously the BBC kind of uh, absolutely dominates when it comes to science-based podcasting. I think there's some absolutely incredible shows on the BBC. I mean, right now, as I say, I'm less science and more history. I've been listening to a lot of this You're Dead to Me show. Mm. Um, obviously, you've got like the Infinite Monkey Cage. That's a good example of kind of science and comedy. Um, I'm a big fan of Jim Al-Khalili. I like the life scientific. That's that's less of a comedy angle. It's more like the desert island discs of science. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really good one for... I think actually I used to say quite often, didn't I, that I wanted to do... Um, I wanted the Planet Science podcast to be as close as possible to a blend between the life scientific with Jim Al-Khalili and Adam Buxton's podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like all, all the kind of like in-depth character study that you get from one of them, plus the kind of more relaxed vibe that Adam Buxton yeah. brings to his stuff. I, I think, yeah, I, I actually, much like Callum, oddly, I'm listening to a lot more history podcasts <laughs> at the moment, <laughs> unhelpfully. But yeah, I love the life scientific. I think it's... I, I, I tend to listen to podcasts in phases where I sorry I'll start that sentence again I I tend to listen to podcasts which are actually slightly heavier because I tend to make podcasts which are slightly lighter and life scientific for me is it's it's a perfect balance so that that's the one that I'd recommend mm. yeah gotcha. oh and also also getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness I found my podcast history and now now I can remember <laughs> yeah uh, getting curious with Jonathan Van Ness is great because he I I, I started listening to that show I don't know if you guys have listened to it, but he... No, he, I haven't, actually. No, I haven't, no. What's oh, it it's Let's good. Get Curious. Get, getting Curious. Getting, getting Curious. Been going for it. that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been doing it since before he hit the big time um, with Queer Eye. But he, he basically interviews all sorts of people, scientists, politicians, um, occasionally other members of the Queer Eye crew. Um, and he basically, he, he, he just seems to go into it with very minimal research done in advance but i think it makes for very entertaining listening because he will interview scientists and he will he will really ask those questions that are like the most basic ones you can hear they're almost shocked at how little research he appears to have done i don't know how much of it is put on but it's so good because actually the truth is how many times have you sat through a lecture from someone where they're assuming you know something in advance and it's just made you feel terrible because like assuming any prior knowledge is just a bad idea because most of us deep down we want someone to ask those super back to basics questions and i think jvn is a master of that yeah yeah well i must check it out so yeah i'll give that a listen um thank you again uh both of you for taking the time to speak with me and is there anywhere you'd like to send people to connect with either of you well, the Pint of Science website is a good place to go for um, all things Pint of Science. So you should head to, if you're based in the UK, pintofscience.co.uk. And there you will find the homepage, which will have all the events that are going on nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find the podcast there as well and the blog, which is also uh, a thing that we do. Uh, you don't want to look me personally up. There's nothing interesting to find if you look <laughs> up me personally. What about you, Sam? I well if you look me up personally you'll find a whole load of very weird stuff so don't do that <laughs> none of it incriminating all of it slightly strange uh, yes go to go to Pint of Science instead it's far more worthwhile you'll have, a, you'll have far more fun okay thanks guys cheers nice man. one James cheers